Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Walking Dead. Looking at the Bible, there are numerous references to people that are alive, but really dead, and dead people that come back to life. This week, lead pastor David Fossil makes it very clear that there are times when our lives will seemingly fall apart. He gives us some pointers on how we can be prepared for crisis days that just seem like a zombie attack. Listen as he helps us see what we can do when those really bad days come along and some steps we can take to survive in the midst of a crisis. So several years ago, um, as part of a campaign to advertise the premiere of The Walking Dead, AMC, which broadcasts the show here in the States, and Fox International, which does it overseas, uh, they got together and they came up with what I think was a fantastic marketing and advertising ploy. Here's what they did. They identified 26 key cities around the world. So Los Angeles, New York, Taipei, Hong Kong, Berlin, Barcelona, Madrid, Paris, key cities, capital cities around the world. And what they did is they sent makeup artists and costume people to all these cities. And then they rounded up about two, three dozen people uh, and the costume people and the makeup people. They turned these people into looking like zombies. And then in a coordinated effort on the same day, they released them onto these cities as a mock zombie attack, right? And it accomplished what they what they wanted. They got all kinds of free publicity. They did get in trouble a little bit because there were some people, especially young, young kids or elderly people that didn't realize they were in costume. They thought they were actual zombies, which would not be funny for them. I think it's hilarious, but uh, it's kind of a crisis for them. If you are joining us today, uh, we are in week two of our series called The Walking Dead. You go, uh, well, what is that all about? Well, it may sound crazy, uh, but there's actually a zombie theme that goes throughout the Bible. Uh, where, where the Bible talks about uh, people that are alive that are really, really dead and people that are dead that come back to life. And so we're, we're looking at this kind of this zombie theme. And you can go back and, and, and watch or listen last week online. Uh, but uh, today what I want to talk to you about is very simply this. I want to talk to you about how to be a survivor. Um, if, you, if you don't watch the show, here's what the show is about. It's, it's about a sheriff that wakes up from a coma in a hospital that is deserted uh, and he wakes up to a world that is dominated by flesh-eating zombies. Uh, I, I think that qualifies as a crisis. What do you think? And uh, the whole show, every season, is basically him and a small group of people trying to survive. That's the whole show. Um, you're not going to ever face a zombie attack. But here's what you need to realize. You will, at some point in time, face a crisis. And it feels like a zombie attack because your life will seemingly fall apart. For some of us, it'll be a family uh, crisis, maybe something with our marriage, something with the kids. For some of us, it'll be a health crisis. Uh, for some of us, it'll be a job or a career crisis, something we thought we would retire with. And all of a sudden, we don't have it anymore. For some of us, it'll be a financial crisis uh, what the heck? Our, our country has gone through a, 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 an economy and a real estate crisis. Some of us have been part of congregations that have gone through a church crisis. Crisis is a part of life. Uh, it, it's no fun when you go through it, but it's naive to think that at some point in time, you won't go through some sort of zombie attack crisis. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to try and talk you through what do you do to make it through? What do you do to prepare so that when your zombie attack, when your crisis comes your way, you're prepared? If you have a Bible, I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 1. I don't have a page number this morning, but Daniel chapter 1, if you want to follow along, I have most of the verses on the screen. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the at a crisis in the life of this guy called Daniel and then apply it to our lives. Here's how the first four verses of Daniel chapter 1 start out. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashenaph, chief of the court of officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. So they were smart, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now, first four verses, historical verses, mean very little to us until you start to realize the crisis that Daniel is going through. Let me show you. There's three things that are happening to him. To start, his home is destroyed. I mean, that's what it means when it says Jerusalem was besieged. Think Middle Ages... You know, this is not during the warfare where you drop bombs on a city. No, this isn't a day and age when soldiers show up into a city with swords and they burn down your house and they kill your family. That's just happened to Daniel. He just watched his neighborhood and his city destroyed and his house burnt to the ground. The second thing is that his God is defeated. Don't miss it. What do the Babylonians do? What they do is they go into the temple of Jerusalem And they grab some of the key expensive things and they take it back to Babylonia and they put it in the temple of their God. Well, why are they doing this? Because if they ever see a Jewish person praying again to Yahweh God, the God of the Bible, they're going to remind them, hey, don't forget that our God kicked your God's butt. And we know that because we took all his cool stuff and we put it in our temple. I mean, you talk about your life getting rocked to the core. And then the last thing, don't miss it, a whole generation of young Jewish men and Jewish women are deported. They're sent to Babylonia as slaves. That's what they do. You know, young Israelites were sent to serve in Babylonia. So they take, you know, the top of the class of every school and they send them as slaves to to Babylon. Why, Why are they doing this? Because if Judah ever wants to revolt again, all they have to do is, yeah, you guys don't want to mess with us. You get, you better start behaving because if you don't, We're going to send a message to to Babylonia and make sure that all those young people lose their life. So what what Babylon has just done, they historical context before Daniel one, they just defeated Assyria. They just defeated Egypt. They now have defeated Judah. They put on the belt of world champion of the world and say, step aside. I, I think that qualifies as quite a significant crisis. What do you think? His whole life has been turned upside down. Now, here's one thing you need to understand. When you go through a crisis, when your life is turned upside down, the enemy knows that we're vulnerable. And if there's ever a time he's going to attack, it's when you're going through crisis. Does that make sense? It happens here and it's going to happen for us. Let me show you how the enemy attacks these young Jewish men and particular Daniel. Let's put the next verses up there. 
I'll get to the underlying section in, in a second. Let me just read. It says, uh, he, referring to the chief of the king, the chief of staff, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. He now called them Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he changes their name. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you how what the enemy is doing to Daniel and what he's going to try and do to you. There's four ways that he attacks. Number one, he's going to try and influence you intellectually. That's the whole point. He takes these young Jewish men and Jewish women and he sends them to, to Nebuchadnezzar University. I want you to study our religion and our science and our way of life and our history and our religion. Because the enemy knows that if he can get you to think differently, eventually that'll cause you to feel differently. And when you feel differently, you'll act differently. That's why what you learn and what you digest matters. He's going to try and influence intellectually. Then he's going to try and influence us emotionally. Just notice. Now, remember, Daniel is a slave. They're a slave. And yet he and his buddies notice they are assigned a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They aren't just given mac and cheese every evening. Oh, no, no. They get gourmet food from the king's table. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get them to like the king. You see, the enemy is going to do the same thing with you and with me. He's going to try and influence us emotionally. He's going to try and get us to think that sin is not that big of a deal. He's going to try and get us to think that, you know, the world that is against the ways of God isn't that bad. I kind of like it a little bit. Emotional influence. Then to influence you practically, notice he doesn't give him a job in the fields. He doesn't give him a job sweeping the gutters of of Babylonia. Oh, no. What you get to do eventually after your training is you get to enter the king's service. So he's, he's going through this systematic intellectual influence, emotional influence, practical influence, all to get to the last one, to influence us spiritually. Uh, now, notice I've underlined that, that he gives them new names. What does this have to do with influence spiritually? Well, changing your name is a big deal in this story. In our society, there's a lot of people that have changed their name. Let's do a little quiz real quick. Let's put the first slide up there. Does anybody know who Agnes Goncha, I don't even know how to pronounce that last word. Anyone know who that is? Let's put it up there. She changed her name to Mother Teresa. How about that? Let's put the next one up there. Peter Jean Hernandez. Anybody? Oh, this will get an emotional response. Put it up there. (laughs) Bruno Mars. I don't know. We'd buy his records if he was Jean. You know, let's put the next one up there. Elric Weiss. That sound exciting? He changed his name to... Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini. Let's put the next one up. Oh, you, Edson Arantes do Nacimiento. You gotta know this. Come on, Luis. Who is this? World Cup? Pele. You guys better be watching the World Cup this summer. I'm not gonna be upset if you don't watch the World Cup. Okay, let's put the next one up there. Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Does anyone know? There it is. It's Elton John. Elton John, right? Okay, I think I got one more. William Jefferson Blythe, you should get this. Come on, who is this? Good Americans, put it up there. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Now, if you go back to our story, 
Here's, here's the names that get changed. Let's put it up there. It's significant. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago that the Jewish names mean something. And Nebuchadnezzar knows this, so he switches it. He's influenced them practically and educationally and emotionally. He says, now I'm going to go after you spiritually. Daniel means God is my judge or justice. He says, no, from now on, you're going to be called Belteshazzar. Marduk, which was a Babylonian god, protect me. Hananiah means God choose grace. It should be shows grace. Sir. I've been making a lot of spelling mistakes. Have you guys noticed this? By the way, the elders are sending me to English classes on my sabbaticals, so just be encouraged. Uh, so God shows grace, Hananiah. I'm going to change it to Shadrach. Shadrach means at the command of Aku, another Babylonian god. Every time he's named, you're at the command of Aku. Mishael means the one who comes from God. Now we're going to change that to Meshach. It belongs, you belong to another Babylonian god, Shishak. Azariah be, means God is my help. Abednego means, no, you're the servant of Nego. You see, what the enemy is going to do is he is going to try and influence you when you are down in the dumps. When your world gets turns on its head, he's going to go after you practically and emotionally and eventually he will go after you spiritually. I, I don't have it on a slide, but for those of you taking notes, this is important. It's one warning. Don't allow your theology, in other words, what you think of this book or God, don't allow your theology to be modified by your circumstances. Let me say that again. Don't allow your theology, what you think about God and about the Bible, to be modified by your circumstances. And here's what I see many times. I believe in God until my life falls apart. I'm going to listen to the Bible until life doesn't go the way I want. And then I'm bailing on God and I'm going to go do my own thing. And that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. To base what you believe on God based upon how good my life is going. Now I'm going to add a little wrinkle and make it even harder for you. We skipped over it very, very quickly. But if you have your Bibles, in verse 2, the first four or five words of chapter 1 will rock your world. Everything that just happened, notice how verse 2 starts. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. In other words, the entire crisis that just happened to Daniel, God allowed or made happen. And for some of us, we have this sneaky suspicion that the crisis we're going through, God let happen. And that's when we really struggle. We str- Why did you let this happen, God? Why am I going through this family crisis? Why am I going through this financial crisis? Why is my body falling apart? Now understand, God does not create evil. But sometimes he allows us to suffer the consequences of either of our own actions or he allows what's happening in the world to impact us. He doesn't come in and change everything. He doesn't treat us like marionettes or like puppets. Will you trust God even when you go through a zombie attack? Don't allow your theology to be altered by your circumstances. That's the warning, okay? Now, the challenges. There's three things to get through your crisis. Three things. The first one comes up in verse 8. Here's what we read. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Verse 9 and following says, what he does is he asks for just vegetables, 
That's all we want to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but this strikes me as a little strange. It does, because here's what's happened so far in Daniel chapter one. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to burn your house down. Okay, Uh, we're going to take you as slaves to a foreign country. Okay, we're going to take your Bible away. Okay, now we're going to take your kosher food away and we're going to give you a porterhouse steak. And Daniel goes, oh, no, you won't. That's where I'm drawing the line in the sand. What? And all of a sudden, you know, he, 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 he wants to, you know, he, he goes from being a hometown buffet kind of a guy to a slim fast kind of a guy. What is going on here? What, why is it that he only wants to eat vegetables? By the way, I love vegetarians. I know there's some of you out there. I love vegetarians because it just means more meat for me. Okay. So I, I really do love that. I know Sandy a while back, about two years ago, she went on a vegetable shake kick. If you've ever had one of these things, it is the nastiest thing you... She says, but taste it, it's healthy. I don't care. I don't care. I taste it, I took a little sip of one. It was so bad. I had to chase it down with some mint chocolate chip ice cream, like two bowls of it, you know? It was it was horrible. What is going on here? Is God against meat? No, he's not against meat. Well, what's happening here? Here's what's happening. The food and the wine that is being served to Daniel and his friends has just been offered as a sacrifice to the pagan Babylonian gods. So they offer it as a sacrifice to the pagan Babylonian gods, and then they take it and they bring it to the Jewish boys and they go, okay, here's your dinner. And in their minds, eating that food and drinking that wine was was basically agreeing with or supporting Babylonian faith, Babylonian gods. It's a spiritual thing. That's what's going on here, right? There are some churches and some people that, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of Rick Warren and Saddleback Church. They're a great church. They've actually taken this chapter and they have what's called the Babel, uh, the Daniel plan. It's a, it's a diet kind of a health kind of a thing. It's not a vegetarian kind of a thing. Uh, by the way, do, do we really need nutritionists to tell us how to eat healthy? Do we really need someone to tell us that you can't eat a tub of ice cream every night and you shouldn't eat fried food every day. And, you know, the Daniel plan in any nutritionist is basically going to say, eat vegetables and eat fruits and try and eat organic fresh food and and eat fish and don't eat a ton of ton of meat. There is something to be said about we have to live healthy. The Bible says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Live healthy. Having said that, this passage has nothing to do really about health. It has everything to do with Daniel having the courage to stand up for his convictions. I'm not going to back down from my convictions. You see, here's what's going to happen when you go through a crisis. When you go through a crisis, you will be tempted to think, well, there's a zombie attack, right? All the laws have changed. So now the rules have changed. Now what's right and wrong has changed. You know, I know God said that one, but you know what? I'm going through a crisis, so now anything is allowed. And the Bible would said, no, it isn't. Anything is not allowed in the midst of a crisis. That is when you know, most need to have conviction. That is when you most need to do what's right because it's the right thing to do. Well, what if it doesn't get me out of the crisis? That's not the point. Have the courage to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, even in the midst of a crisis. Now, if you are in an environment, school, family, work, 
where you're going through a little mini crisis. You're going to have to stand up for your convictions. Don't be a Jesus punk about it. You know what I mean by Jesus punks? You know Jesus punks? Don't don't look at them. Some of you are like looking at them, staring at them. We have a few. Jesus punks are the kind of people that take this book and thump other people over the head with it. Daniel's in a dip, difficult situation here, but notice notice what he does. He's not a Jesus punk about it. Let me show you. Let's put the next couple of verses up there. Daniel asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. In other words, he was respectful. Some of you are in situations at family, at work, at school, in a society that does not look favorably on your faith. That doesn't mean you push back. They still are in a position of authority. Be respectful. Be respectful. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to to Daniel. Be likable. What does it mean to be like? Be nice person. Be a friendly person. Be interested in their life. You know? Be a likable person, right? The story goes on. The the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? In other words, if I take your steak away and all I give you vegetables, you're going to, you're not going to be strong and that's not going to look good on me. The the king would then have my head because of you. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, do you know who, who Nebuchadnezzar was someone's hero? You know who it was? Saddam Hussein. King Nebuchadnezzar was his hero. Same country, Iraq, Babylon. He was a ruthless man. He would kill anybody and everybody he wanted. So getting rid of a couple Jewish boys because they look kind of flimsy is no big deal to him. He's going to kill his chief chief of staff if he doesn't do what he wants him to do. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed, please test us. Test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then after 10 days, see how we look. In other words, he's not only respectful, he's likable, he's flexible. So when you are in a situation at work, at family, at school, where your convictions are being, someone is asking you to bend on your convictions, don't just push back. Do what Daniel did. Figure out a way through respect and and through your personality and through flexibility to still do what you're hoping to do, which is honor God. Now, here's the last question I'm going to ask you under this point. Are any of us cutting corners, morally speaking, right now? Is there something going on in our life where we've given ourselves permission to not do what God says? Because you know what? I'm going through a tough time. And what I would challenge you to do is have the courage to stand up for what is right. Have the courage to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. And God will honor that. The second, the second principle that you want to hold on to, uh, let's put it up there in the next couple of verses. Now, notice that I've highlighted a couple words, okay? Notice that I've highlighted a couple words starting in verse 17. Now, to these four young men, and you see their names highlighted and underlined, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. I love that verse, because now they went to Babylon University, and now God says, okay, now I'm going to train you. Now I'm going to teach you. Uh, whether I don't care what high school or college you're going to, make sure you get God on your side teaching you, 
right? And, and, and it says, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king called them and he found no one equal to these four guys. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them and he found them, so on and so forth. Now, what am I trying to highlight for you? I'm trying to highlight for you that while the name of the book may be called Daniel, the whole story is about four guys. Four guys that were tight and lived in community. I wonder if the story would be the same if it was just Daniel. And my gut tells me probably not. Why was this guy able to stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar? Why was he able to do the right thing? My guess is because it was all about them. You know what what we all need in the midst of a crisis? You need to find a few friends that will help encourage, challenge, and strengthen you. The Bible calls that community. By the way, it, it goes way beyond just the first word, encourage. We can all have friends that encourage us and have fun with us, and it, that's part of life, right? Do you have friends that will get in your face and challenge you? Do you? They, and you trust them, and you love them, and they know, you, you know, they, they love you, and I'm telling you this because I care for you. Uh, if you're married, that first person should be your spouse, but it should go beyond your spouse. In some cases, it should be gender-based. Ladies, you should have a couple friends and the ladies that are encouraging you. And I have a couple guys that do the same thing in my life. It challenge you and strengthen you. Galatians says this, carry each other's burdens. Do you have someone that's going to help carry you through your zombie attack? Honestly, do you? Because it's coming. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now, something's going to happen and you're going to need people to lean on. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I do off and on watch the show, The Walking Dead, and there's one season that a whole a bunch of episodes were all about one town. It was called the town of Woodbury. If you watch the show, you know what it was about. And of course, there was a storyline where there was vaccines. But the main point about this town Everybody loved this town because it was a safe community. That was the whole story. It was a safe community. No zombies, and they were tight. They were in community. Can I, you know what? Whether it's Daniel chapter 1, or it's the town of Woodbury and the Walking Dead, or it's the Bay Area right here, we all need community. We all need community. By the way, that's the whole reason we have men's retreats women's retreats, men's breakfast. That's the whole reason. We're not just trying to fill your calendar. My guess is you have plenty of other things to do. The whole point, and we've got a couple of them back there to sign up for today. The whole point is so that you can build some friendships. You can find a small group of people. It doesn't have to be a big group. You can find a group of people when their life falls apart, I'm going to pick you up. When my life falls apart, you're going to pick me up. This book does not talk about being a lone ranger Christian. It talks about us living in community. Right? Now, just real quickly about community. Um, three things I want to encourage. How to develop it. Be intentional. Be wise. Be reciprocal. In other words, if you're here today and you feel a little lonely, be intentional. It takes time to build friendships. It's not going to happen overnight. Right? Be intentional. Go out of your way. Uh, and some people, you'll say, I'd love to be their friend. And sometimes, uh, and this sounds weird, sometimes people don't have any more time to have any more friends. You know what I'm talking about? 
So find someone else that need, you know, has some time. Find some friends. Be intentional. The other one is be wise. Right? You can have a big group of friends that you hang out with, but when, when it comes to community, you have to be wise and picky. People you lean on and depend on. True story. Police officer in Montana. Um, uh, pulled a car over late on a Friday night. It was fooled with a bunch of young guys in their, you know, late teenage, early twenties. And, and it, they were driving erratically and back and forth and stopping. He pulled them over. And sure enough, all, almost all of them were drunk. Right? They just come from a party. The only guy that wasn't drunk was the driver. The only problem is that the driver was blind. And his buddies thought, well, he's not drunk. You know, he can't get in trouble. So we'll just, you know, they were yelling at him, left, left, right? Right? Can I just encourage you? Be very wise, be very careful, be very picky who you allow to drive the car. Does that make sense? Because when you're in crisis mode, you want to make sure that whoever's feeding you information and giving you advice, you know, isn't blind. You know what I'm saying? Uh, last one is be reciprocal. If you are the kind of person that, who can be my friend? I want, I'm looking for friends. Who, who, I want some friends. You're not going to find many. If on the other hand, you're the kind of person that goes to be a friend, I guarantee you, you will not lack in friendships. It's not about someone else being your friend. It's about you being their friend. You support them. You, you help them move the couch on a Saturday morning when you don't want to. That's who you know who your friends are, right? Got a piano to move. Yeah, no, I'm busy, you know. So uh, community, last one. Let's wrap this sucker up. Uh, you know, this la- the last one is the last verse of the whole chapter. Let's put it up there, Vince. Verse 21. Now, you can't understand verse 21 unless you read verse 1 as well. Now, notice verse 21. Daniel 1, 21. And Daniel remained there, okay, in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. You know what I typically do with those verses right there? I just skip over them. I know I'm not supposed to say that as a pastor, but I do. I mean, like, what is that? How's that going to change my life? Nothing. Until you realize every verse in the Bible has a reason and there's a context. And then you realize how the book started. Daniel 1.1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this whole crisis started. So now you start to understand what the writer is doing and why he's giving, he's giving you context. He's trying to help you understand the time frame that Daniel and his friends went through this issue. And all you got to do historically is find out when was the third year of President Jehoiakim's reign. And then when was the first year of King Cyrus? And very, very quickly you discover, you know, the time lapse that went by 70 years. 70 years. When you go through a crisis, you need courage to do what's right. When you go through a crisis, you need community, people to lean on. When you go through crisis, you need perseverance. You need to develop endurance and stay the course over the long haul. Here's the thing. Just because I obey God doesn't mean my life gets better. I don't know about you, but that's kind of sucky. But that's the truth. Just because I obey God, my life, my crisis doesn't necessarily go away. In here, my crisis in here goes away, but my crisis outside of me doesn't go away necessarily. Seventy years Daniel was faithful. Seventy years. How how, how do I get that? How, How do I get endurance? How do I learn how to persevere more? Let me wrap this sucker up.
Let's put three things up there. Number one is practice. If you've ever been part of an organized sports team, they practice. They practice. You, you don't get good at shooting baskets or running a marathon by just showing up on the day of the race. You've got to practice. Now, let me tell you, some of you are not dealing with a zombie crisis right now. You're just dealing with a small little problem. Can I, can I tell you what's happening? God is letting you practice. He's letting you get ready because a year from now, when the zombies do attack, if you don't practice now, you're not going to be ready then. Practice now dealing with difficult people at the office with issues, drivers on the highway. Practice, practice courage, practice community, practice perseverance. The second thing is pray. We believe in prayer. We got to be do a better job of it. Can I just first thing? Pray for, for endurance. God, just help me. Help me keep going on. The second thing, get other people to pray for you. You know what? Right over there, you see, is the sign that says the prayer room. You see it? Now, the only problem with the prayer room is where it's located. Because the donuts are that way. <laughs> but the prayer room is that way. If you're going through a little mini crisis, it doesn't matter what it is. Could I encourage you? We'll keep you a Panera cinnamon bun or whatever. Just go. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be prideful. Don't be whatever. Just go over there. We got good people and say, I got an issue with, and you can give them as many or as little details as you want, and they'll take 30, 40 seconds and pray for you. Just do it. Why? Because it works. Because it works. So, if we go that way, get a donut and leave, God's going to say, you know, the prayer room was right over there. You know what I'm saying? So I would encourage you, um, pray for yourself, get other people, whether it's small groups or right over there. We got a good team. Here's the good thing about those people. They pray for you throughout the week. They, they write down who they pray for and they keep praying for you. I'll take that. Right? The last one is perspective. I need you to look at your problems different. Let me wrap up with this one verse and one quick story. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light and momentary troubles, right? Now, this is a guy that was half, was beaten to an inch of his life. He was shipwrecked. He was falsely imprisoned and he was facing a death penalty. And he talks about light and momentary troubles. What are you talking about, Paul? He says these light and momentary troubles, life, are achieving for us an eternal glory. So he says, instead of focusing on right now, you need to focus on eternity, perspective, right? Achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So he says, I need you to think different. Don't just focus on the zombie attack crisis you're having now. You need to focus on the future. You need to focus on everything you have for eternity. Let me, let me give you a quick illustration. This is the only way I know how to explain it. I've, I've said it some way like this in the past. Let's say the first day of the year, first day of this year, I get up early. It's New Year's, New Year's Day. I want to cook uh, a bacon and egg and pancake breakfast for my family. So I get down there and I got the bacon and we're cooking and everything. My daughter gets up, you know, she goes out to the car. She's got to get something and she goes, dad, hurry, come. And so we all wake up and we go, all go outside. What's going on? Someone just stole all our cars. Right? Gang or whoever came, they stole my car and Sandy's car and the kid's car. No cars left. Oh, my goodness gracious. So we call the cops and we're all out front and there's glass on the floor. And they're writing reports. And all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, the food. 
Sure enough, the the grease from the bacon is caught in fire in the kitchen and the house is on fire and everything's burning. And Sandy says, Ron, hurry, go get the wedding album. So I'm running inside, got to get the wedding album. You know, got to get the pictures. As I'm running out, I fall. Boom, break both my legs. I'm sitting on the side of the curb and the insurance agent comes up and he's taking a report and what's happened and everything. And he hears what happened. He said, oh, did you not read the fine print? I go, what do you mean fine print? He says, yeah, we added this last year that our insurance will not cover any loss as a result of bacon grease fire. (laughs) You could say, how could anyone not like bacon? It's part of the story. Just stay there with me, (laughs) right? So all of a sudden, our house is burned. We have no insurance, right? So they, they take me to Kaiser, and there I am in the bed, right? And I'm lying there, and the first person that shows up is the chairman of our board here. My friend, uh, and many of you know him, Bruce Corey. He shows up. I said, Bruce, thank you so much for showing up. You know, pray for me. And here's what happened in the bacon grease. And I'm telling the story. And he goes, well, actually, I'm here to give you some bad news. I well, what's going on? He goes, well, I know this is really hard to understand, but a, a bunch of people at church got together and they got signatures and signed a petition to have you removed as the pastor of Bay Hills Community Church. And he goes, I, I said, who could possibly do that? And he says, you know, the 49er fans are sick and tired of you punking on them. And so you're, you're out. So now I have no cars. I have no house. I have no job. First day of the year. So the next day, things start to turn around, right? I'm in the bed. I'm waiting for surgery. And a lawyer shows up. I don't recognize this guy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, someone with the insurance company or something like that. And he goes, no, you don't know me. He says, I represent a long lost relative of yours that just passed away and you're the only person left in their family bloodline and they have left you $56 million. First thing Sandy does is she goes out and buys different colored sports cars for everyone in the family, (laughs) right? That's the first thing. That afternoon, the Kaiser doctor comes in. He says, I got this doctor friend in Stanford and he wants to do experimental surgery on your legs. He says, now it's experimental, but if it works, I mean, it's going to be incredible, right? So they do experimental surgery on my legs. And all of a sudden, overnight, I'm a world-class athlete. (laughs) I can jump and I can touch the top of a backboard. I got Olympic speed faster than Hussein Bolt. I can kick a ball harder than anyone else. And they're featuring me on ESPN. And the head coach for the men's national soccer team sees this, invites me to practice, adds me to the World Cup squad... I go to the World Cup and we beat, the United States beats Argentina in the final. The USA wins because of my goal scored in the final. I come back. I don't have a job. So I I don't, what am I going to do on Sundays now? The Raiders hear about me. And they pick me up at the field goal kicker. Because I can kick 80 yard field goals. We score every single time. Raiders go undefeated. We beat the Niners in the Super Bowl with 10 field goals by Fossil. I'm an instant celebrity. I'm being interviewed by Oprah one day. And we're talking about family and suddenly we get talking about the economy. You know, and and I say, you know, I have some ideas about what we could do to turn it around. And so I start sharing my ideas. At that very moment, President Obama needs a break in the White House. And he turns the TV on. He starts to listen. And he starts to take notes. And he's like, this is actually good stuff. 
So he gets on national TV the next day and he announces his new economic plan based upon this fossil guy that had some surgery on his legs. And in one month, our economy turns around. The world economy turns around. Everyone's 401k is blowing up. Everyone's housing price is going up, right? So beginning of December, the management company in this complex calls Bruce back up. And he says, we've heard about your pastor and what he, oh man, what a contribution he's made athletically and what a contribution he's made, you know, to our economy. And we would like to offer Bay Hills Community Church to stay in this location as long as you want. And Bruce says, let me just stop you right there. He's actually not the pastor anymore. They're like, what? He's not the pastor anymore. He got, they said, well, we'll give you that deal if he comes back on as the pastor. So I agree to become the pastor of Bayos Community Church again under one condition. And my condition is that all 49er fans must wear Raider gear to church every Sunday. So you guys eat crow and it's all dressed in black every Sunday, right? Time Magazine picks me as person of the year, right? Sports Illustrated picks me as sportsman of the year. People Magazine picks me as sexiest man alive. I mean, it is great. It could happen, right? On New Year's Eve, I'm at a party and someone says, so, how was your year? And I was like, it was great. It was awesome. And they go, wait a minute. Didn't you have the, the grease fire and the broken legs and, and you got kicked out of your church? Didn't that happen on the first day of the year? And I say, yeah. But compared to the rest of the year, that was nothing. And that's what Paul says. He says, you know what? What you're going through right now is that first day. And it sucks. It's like a zombie attack. But what I need you to do is I need you to have a different perspective. Because on the other side of eternity, it's like the rest of my year. Let's stand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we've been speaking hypothetically about zombie attacks. And about crisis in our life, but the reality is that some of us right here are going through that crisis. And the person next to us or behind us doesn't know, but this week, this month, has been hard. Father, I'm so incredibly grateful that you're not a God that just hangs out in heaven, but you're a God that is next to us and with us, especially when we're going through difficult times. And Father, I, I want to pray for my friends here this morning, whoever they are that are going through that difficult time. Father, I pray that you would give them at least one nugget this morning that they have heard to keep making it through. Father, help us be a people of courage. Help us be the kind of people that do what is right, even when it's hard to do that. Father, I pray that we would be a people of community and commit to not be lone rangers, but to find other men and women and friends that we can share life with and enjoy life with, but also in the midst of challenges and difficulties, encourage one another. And Father, finally, we, we also ask you that you would help us be a people of perseverance and endurance because some of us here are tired. We're tired of doing life the way we've been doing it because life doesn't change and the challenges are still there. Father, help us make it through this crisis. Help us be survivors because of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for your word and how practical it is. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people say.
It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.